If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Thanks for listening and being a part of The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, good to have your company. My guest this hour on the program will be Mark Latham, MLC from the New South Wales Parliament, and also Emeritus Professor Ross Fitzgerald, who we've had on the program before. He'll be talking a little bit later. John from the State of Victoria has sent me an email. Chris, I just wanted to express my appreciation on the coverage of the conflict in Gaza. I think it is critical to have the objective assessments that Shane Healy presents at the tactical level, which is not covered in mainstream media. Shane's assessments really brings a lot of credibility to the show's coverage of the conflict. Now, John sounds like someone who may have come from the forces, just like Shane Healy does. Shane will be on the program once again tomorrow, John. And for those who are captivated by his explanations about what's happening both on the ground and politically around the world in terms of the war between Hamas and Israel. He'll be on tomorrow and we'll have him on in the early part of 2024 for as long as this war continues. I concur, John. He is an excellent analyst analyst, and he is a a brilliant, um, I think, commentator because he does balance both sides of the argument, which is exactly what needs to be done in these emotional times and with an issue that is very, very emotional. Uh, Just in terms of Pierre Corey, interesting comments on the chat box, which you can find on tntradio.live. Chris says, Dr. Pierre Corey is brilliant. His voice needs to be amplified. Share, share, share. Well, you get a chance to do that after the program. When we podcast the show, you can go to episodes on tntradio.live and uh, you can get a chance then to take it pass it on, forward it, or put it on any of your platforms. You can do that. Thank you very much for that, Chris. And River agrees from Scotland. River says that was a good segment, Chris. Much respect for people like him. Uh, Stack of other comments that I won't be able to get to just now. I want to go back to California before I go to Mark Latham. A federal court judge on Wednesday blocked a Californian law that would have banned carrying firearms in most public places, ruling that it violates the Second Amendment of the US Constitution. Whether you like it or not, it does. And it deprives people of their ability to defend themselves and their loved ones. The law signed by who else but Gavin Newsom in September was set to take effect on January the 1st. It would have prohibited people from carrying concealed guns in 26 places, including public parks and playgrounds, churches, banks and zoos. The ban would apply whether the person has a permit to carry a concealed weapon or not. Permit, shmermit. One exemption would be for privately owned businesses that put up signs saying people are allowed to bring guns on their premises. But a judge on Wednesday blocked that law that would have banned carrying firearms. Another case of the left versus the right at the highest possible judicial level. This is TNT Radio. Giving you what you want. I want the fact. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I've got the Upper House Independent MP in the New South Wales Parliament of Australia, Mark Latham, MLC, for the very last time in 2023. Mark, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me on during the year, Chris, and and all the best to you and your listeners uh, for Christmas, a wonderful time of the year, and for a um, successful 2024. 
Now, that's great, but I'm worried about your Christmas tree. I was watching on social media that the tree has gone up, but you've got a new dog, right? Yeah, yeah, he wouldn't pose for the photos. As they say in showbiz, never work with children and dogs, uh, animals. And he he hasn't taken part of the tree down at all? No, 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 he's left the tree alone. That was one of the fears, he'd eat the presents. But uh, no, he's left those (laughs) alone and he's doing the right thing. But posing for photos, that's not his go. That's good. You know, you were just in Taiwan and I want to talk about what you experienced and who you spoke to. But when I was in Hong Kong many, many years ago, just prior to Christmas, I found that Hong Kong celebrated Christmas like no other country I'd ever been in. Does Taiwan celebrate Christmas? Yes, I was saying to some people last night, actually, that there's uh, many more Christmas trees in Taipei than you'll see in Sydney, uh, publicly, you know, out on the street, in shopping centres and the like. So um, I asked when I was there the proportion of uh, Christians in the population. They said just 10%, but they celebrate uh, Christmas uh, much more than we do, at least uh, going by the number of big trees that are out there in front of shopping centres. So I, I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful. And what they do in Hong Kong is just like something to behold. It's it's lit up, it's electrified, it's just visually exciting. Now, you've just returned from there. They've got an election on January the 13th. That would have been all the rage, especially when they had an Australian politician in their midst. Yeah, we were nearby when they had the ballot draw. That was a big event with all the supporters of the three major parties coming out. A lot of activity, a lot of campaigning, the placards were going up and and also importantly you've got increased uh, Chinese mainland China activity uh, in the South China Sea and and also messages they're sending out trying to influence the election result in in Taiwan. So China doesn't seem to learn the lesson of not interfering in the democratic actions of another country. Uh, You know communist China is totalitarian it's not democratic so they've got quite a hide to try and influence the result of the Taiwanese election but They're omnipresent, Uh, they're everywhere in our region and a reminder that Australian defence assets, we need them here rather than on the other side of the world uh, because China's always a worry. Yeah, whenever I've spoken to Taiwanese academics, you know, professors, uh, associate professors about the future, the immediate future of Taiwan, they often say, listen, China doesn't really need to use military force to take over Taiwan. They have crept into Taiwan's affairs, political affairs, social affairs, business affairs, uh, inch by inch, day by day for many, many decades. Uh, They have, and the political parties have responded in interesting ways. The ruling party there, the DPP, which is sort of like the Labor Party, I suppose you'd say, um, uh, their policy is to declare a full independence from China and ask other countries to have a two-China policy, mainland China separate from Taiwan forevermore, whereas the old uh, Kuomintang, the KMT, who lost the civil war to the communists, uh, ironically, their policy is a bit closer to China and would allow Chinese guest workers uh, into Taiwan, where, like us, they have dramatic labour shortages. So, you know, it's an active issue. You'd say in the Taiwanese election for the presidency and the parliament on the 13th of January, the number one issue is China. Yeah, and I doubt whether the Taiwanese people want to rock the boat and invite China to do something dramatic. They would like to, the status quo to remain, right? Uh, they would. Um, they obviously worry about their security. Um, and from an Australian perspective, a strong Taiwan is very much in our national interest because it's a blocker to China doing something silly. And the main strategy, uh, you're right in saying the Taiwanese, 23 million people, 
couldn't defend themselves outright against mainland China. But they've, uh, the Taiwanese have had a clever strategy of making themselves indispensable in global supply chains. For instance, for semiconductors, which are essential around the world, uh, they produce 92% of the advanced product. And as we were told at, at one of the companies by um, a security advisor, does the American president, also the Australian prime minister, do they ever want to have to ring Xi Jinping to get hold of their semiconductors? So Taiwan's been smart. Uh, their economic agenda is their best form of national security. Yeah, good point. How did they treat you? Were they fascinated that all of a sudden from the throng of American politicians that have been lining up this year to visit Taipei, all of a sudden an Australian politician turned up? Yeah, well, I was part of a delegation, and uh, the Taiwanese are great hosts, uh, plenty of hospitality. The banquets at night were overload, put on a few kilos, so that's always <laughs> a worry running into Christmas. But, you know, friendly people wanting to make friends globally, of course, because of the national security concerns, and we were very well treated everywhere we went, um, and Australians are well-liked. Um, you know, we've got a lot of similarities as a country, particularly in population size, and one of the best visits we did was to an indigenous school in the centre of Taiwan where the kids there for the first time saw foreigners. You know, we were like men from outer space wow. for those kids. So, you know, there was a, a, that novelty factor in the trip as well as some really interesting briefings. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Now, as far as political bombshells go, the Colorado Supreme Court decision to take Donald Trump's name off the primary ballot sheet there is right up there. How the hell did those four judges rule that without a conviction against Trump for insurrection? It's so undemocratic, I cannot believe it happened. Yeah, it's unilateral by Colorado. Some other left-wing states might follow. You know, unfortunately, in the United States, everything is political and the pivot point is Donald Trump. No one could pretend that these judges are politically independent. You'd have to say they're Democrats. They've got it in for Trump and they've invoked an obscure provision to say that, you know, he encouraged the uprising on the 6th of January. The truth is he told them to march down there, but to do it peacefully, not to engage in any form of violence or breaking of the law. So Trump has never been guilty of uh, what the lefties say about him, and it's outrageous to think they could rub him off the ballot for the primaries and possibly the general election uh, on political grounds. And, and, and also maybe it happens in other states. So... Where that takes the American system, so bitterly divided about Trump, it's hard to know. But uh, if they were worried about the 6th of January, rubbing him off the ballot, I think, would make the 6th of January look like the teddy bear's picnic. That's a very good point. You know, of all the charges that have been laid against him, the indictments in particular, this may actually do more, and I'd like to know whether you think that this is possible or not. This could actually move undecideds more over to the Trump camp than anything else that's uh, come up before him? Well, the United States historically has prided itself on being the world's greatest democracy, and the American people would have to think a democracy should allow uh, candidates the eligibility to run for office and yeah. to rub them out through the legal system on spurious grounds, basically because of politics is just plain wrong. So, yeah, I think it will produce a lot of sympathy for Donald Trump. Uh, and it should. It's just, you know, we'd hate that in our system. Uh, someone's oh. not convicted of these charges and not allowed to run for a democratic election. You know, it's, it's just more like something you find in a, a third world banana republic than the great democracy, the great republic, the United States. Yeah, it's kangaroo court stuff, absolute kangaroo court stuff. All right. 
to Australia and Anthony Albanese's decision not to send a destroyer to the Red Sea as part of this US armada against the Houthis, I think was grossly unprecedented. It followed, of course, their decision not to side with the United States in terms of a UN resolution for a ceasefire. And according to the Chinese government, it's another sign that Australia is thankfully distancing itself from the United States. That's the look that the Chinese want the rest of the world to see. Uh, together with that UN decision over the ceasefire, it's a new kind of diplomacy from the Labor government in Australia, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is, Chris, but I'm not um, necessarily disagreeing with the decision. Uh, the Chinese would say that, wouldn't they? They'd rather have Australian warships in the Middle East than the sure. South China Sea, whereas part of their activities we mentioned earlier, they're harassing Filipino fishing boats, they're flexing their muscle. We had that uh, sonar pinging incident against Australian personnel not long ago, and um, uh, the Chinese would much rather have Australia deployed in the Middle East. I, I think if we've got a spare warship, put it in the South China Sea and keep an eye on China. We've recently had a defence review that said uh, there's a pressing need to keep our assets in, in, in this part of the world, our defence assets. Well, you know, that's code for let's have an eye out for Chinese activity and be on the ready to, to counter it. So uh, if that's the government strategy, it's not as bad as it looks. Um, I don't think Australia needs to be the global policeman. Uh, I don't think we've got a huge role to play in the Red Sea, where we've sent half a dozen defence personnel, but not a warship. Um, I'm in favour of keeping our defence assets closer to home, particularly given the high risk of China uh, at this time, when they're um, uh, doing uh, reckless things in the South China Sea because of the Taiwanese election. But isn't this about preserving the establishment of a democratic country, that is Israel, in that part of the world to ensure that they are safe, that they can operate effectively, especially when it comes to freight and trade, um, which is what the Houthis want to stop? Isn't that, isn't that an important thing to do? And I can't think of any other request that's come to Australia from the United States that we have refused. Well, maybe we should have refused Vietnam and Iraq and uh, we would have saved uh, thousands of young Australian lives and, true. and conflicts that weren't our business and, and, and failed ultimately. Um, so history teaches us those lessons. I, look, no one in, in, in the New South Wales Parliament is more sympathetic to Israel than me and I make numerous speeches batting away the pro-Palestinian left and their absurd arguments. But it's also true of a nation our size, 25 million people, that our defence force can't do everything. Um, the United States and, and Britain and European countries a lot closer to the Red Sea have got far greater military capacity to put their shoulder to the wheel and clear out those uh, shipping, uh, shipping lanes and uh, ensure that the trade goes through. So I see that as their responsibility. Uh, for the United States and how they view Australia, our responsibility is in regions like the South China Sea and containing China in the Pacific and we should say to the Americans, we're all for doing that. We're all for helping the United States in our part of the world uh, to restrain Chinese aggression. But we can't do everything with our limited military forces. And on this occasion, we can't send a warship to the Red Sea, particularly when we've just had this defence review that sensibly said, keep our defence assets in our part of the world, in our region, rather than thinking that a country of 25 million can be a global policeman. OK, let's take a quick break. I want to come back and talk about the economy 
and talk about the future of Anthony Albanese and the Labor government as well. Right after a quick break, we'll be back with Mark Latham on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Hervoy Morich. Approximately 650,000 Ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 have left Ukraine for Europe since the start of the war. It's a tough spot if your country is being invaded. Uh, that's one thing, and you're a, a male and a citizen. Um, but you know, if the war, if it's a globalist war, I wouldn't want to participate <laughs> in these banker globalist wars. And most of them just uh, are. Hervoy Morich on today's News Talk Radio TNT. Take us back in time, and who was Mike Flynn? He was the national security advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's gonna protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. We don't rock. rock. We talk. talk. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hey, good to have you with us. I'll get to Mark Latham in a second. Warwick has made a really good point about Taiwan, and Mark touched on it in that discussion we had after his visit recently. Warwick says on the chat box, Taiwan is the biggest producer of the world's most advanced chips. It's also rapidly becoming one of the world's most dangerous geopolitical flashpoints. The fear is that in the event of a conflict, firms won't get the microchips they need to make phones and drones, set up supercomputers and cellular networks, and even build new weapons. Point taken, Warwick, but as Mark was saying before, the Chinese uh, have the same kinds of fears 
it would impact them at the same time. Let's get back to Mark now. I, I read Ross Gittin's uh, economic comments uh, frequently, Mark, and I know where he comes from. He's uh, he takes a very lefty view of the economic world, especially when it comes to government uh, government control. But even he says this week that Anthony Albanese won't win a majority at the next election. Will he win at all? Well, it's debatable. I think after The Voice, which is one of the great uh, calamities that we've seen in federal politics in recent times, after that voice disaster, you'd have to say nothing's certain in federal politics. It's put the coalition back in the race. It's told the Australian people that Albanese has the wrong priorities. He's not going to fulfil his cost of living promises. No one's getting a $275 electricity bill reduction. Higher interest rates, a sluggish economy. You know, these are very bad signs for a first-term government. So I would have thought the next election contest... Uh, uh, given it's a you know a fair way away, um, it's probably a fifty-fifty bet at this stage. Fifty-fifty. Do you think Peter Dutton is a pro or a con for the coalition? Uh, depends who you're talking to. If you go to the Teal electorates in the inner city, he's obviously a, a negative in some of those areas that used to be traditional Liberal Party. But out in the uh, the outer suburbs and regions, uh, Dutton is seen as a traditional conservative, someone that the Liberal Party. Uh, used to rely on, you know, a sort of a John Howard type um, mm. in his political philosophy, and that's an asset for those uh, battlers. Used to call them Howard battlers. Well, they're still battling away, and I think he's a big plus for them in in, in seats uh, in the outer suburban and regional areas. Yeah, um, let's move on to other money matters, and you've obviously cited the list of political expenses accrued by federal MPs and ministers since last year. What are the standouts to you? And are we being too hard on those senior ministers for the bills that they rack up? They've got to get on with governing. They've got to get on with moving and using planes. It's not as if they can rack up zero. Are we being too hard or are they being too frivolous with our money? Well, it depends if the money's well spent. Uh, you know, Albanese, I, I think in the headline, um, expenses is, is spent um, $4 million on um, air travel, uh, which is a hell of a lot, and he's earned the, the nickname of Airbus Albo. Now, some of his diplomacy, I think re-establishing a dialogue with the Chinese, what he's done in the Pacific, has been useful, but it's also clear he's gone overseas to rub shoulders and, and, and be with the international bigwigs, uh, not necessarily advancing Australia's interests. So he's travelled too much, and you'd have to say that bill is excessive. But you'd have to look at them individually. I think Richard Miles, the Deputy Prime Minister, has had trouble, hasn't he, with uh, the suggestion he was using government air travel to get to golf games. So obviously that's uh, unacceptable. That's so unacceptable. It depends whether it's yeah. money well spent. Yeah. I, I want to talk about 2024 just a tad. Um, will we have an election at the end of 2024? Is that too early? Um, what will the economy look like next year, do you think? Well, slower and sluggish. I think we've had too many interest rate rises. We haven't got productivity reform out of Canberra. We've no. still got labour shortages. We've still got an inflation rate that's unacceptable. So none of the economic indicators are all that positive for next year. Will we have an election? Uh, I tend to think Albanese would be a full-term type of Prime Minister. He's been around a long while. He's, he's, he's seen labour governments go early in their first term and, 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 and lose seats. He can't lose anything, you know, because it's such a, a fine margin. Um, mm. And, and uh, we'll have a, a bit of an indicator, I suppose, that that uh, 
by-election down there on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria early yeah. next year. So I, I think Albanese will probably wait for the full term, which is what, uh, uh, the middle of um, 2025. Yeah, which means it could be March, maybe even May 2025. Yeah, around that vicinity. That would be my guess at this stage. But if he was a long way ahead this time next year, of course, he'd want to cash in, you know, the temptation would be there. I ran into a couple of investment bankers the other night at a function I was at, um, and they were all talking about how promising 2024 is looking, although I've seen some of the commentary in the last 48 hours about the Australian economy, and they're saying the first half of next year, the end of the financial year, will be a shocker. And then they're saying you'll have to wait until the second half of 2024, the calendar year, to see anything promising, and things will start to grow and uh, interest rates will back off a great deal. Is that the way you see it? How will our economic year go? Well, I tend to think that prediction about the first half of the year is right, but I'm, I'm not optimistic about the second half either. Um, and, and if interest rates came down, it would be a fair while, a lagging impact, uh, you know, be, um, you know, eight, nine, ten months before it started to pump the economy back up. So interest rates have, have been going up for quite some time. Uh, there's a delay in the damage they cause, and I think we'll feel most of that damage next year. And you've got those other factors that I mentioned, the, the, the labour shortages, the supply chain problems. Um, you know, the, people don't focus much on the waterfront these days, but the, the union there has been reprehensible in mm. these strike actions before Christmas. So you've got renegade union action on the waterfront. Um, you've got in, inflation. You've had these interest rate rises. I don't see the Australian economy um, uh, pumped up and prosperous next year. I think it's going to be a struggle and the cost of living issues, a real crisis for a lot of families, uh, they're going to still be in place for the next 12 months. And, and there are things that governments can do to increase productivity, but I don't get a sense at all that at least in this term of labour, they've got their eyes on increasing pro productivity one iota, do you? Well, what have they done about the waterfront? You know, these rolling strikes uh, stopping the trade, you know, we're a trading nation, and stopping the products moving across the wharf is a dreadful thing, particularly running into Christmas. The, the quicker we get automated uh, on the waterfront and we're not held hostage by the CFMEU and, and the, also the, the Maritime Union, yeah. then the better off we'll be. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, an obvious area for a reforming government to attack and they've done nothing about it. In fact, they don't even condemn the strikes by the maritime mob, by the wharfies. So um, it's a drag on the economy, and, and obviously at this particular time we, we can't do with that. We can't afford it. Yeah. Well, mate, thank you very much for your contribution. You've had uh, some nice words to say at the beginning of our chat today, and I appreciate that, but you've been um, an incredible support to the program, to myself, and I thank you for that. And enjoy Christmas. Have a good break because it's been a hell of a year. Yeah, you too, Chris, and congratulations on the personal front for your achievement you've noted recently. It's, it's been a, you know, a, a great tribute to you, and I wish you all the best for next year, you and your family. And, of course, the listeners here, you've got a great audience, and uh, they're politically attuned, and, and I hope to be back next year. Yeah, I hope you are too, mate. Thank you very much for that. All the very best. You too. Cheers. Good on you. Mark Latham, MLC, independent MP in the New South Wales Parliament, who we enjoy having on the program, and I know you do too because... I get so many people. It's funny, you know, it, people know when Mark is on. You can tell from the feedback and even the ones that want to criticise Mark, they know when he's on. So they actually listen to him 
because they know which day he's on. So that's a, a telling commentary from those who uh, might have negative things to say. Of course, all politicians have negative things said about them. That is uh, the profession. That is the uh, hazard of the business. I'm glad they do it and I don't. I'll leave you very shortly. We want to go to a news break and then we're going to come back and speak with Emeritus Professor, the one and only Ross Fitzgerald. He's just written, would you believe, his 45th book. He's a walking, talking encyclopedia is Ross Fitzgerald. He'll be on the program right after a news break on TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Live. The station, the first to broadcast. Breaking news. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Hamas has released a video praising Australia, Canada and New Zealand for backing calls for a ceasefire in Gaza. The US is losing interest in Ukraine as its seemingly endless stream of cash dries up. And it's been revealed Chinese President Xi Jinping delivered a blunt message to Joe Biden during their meeting in California, warning Beijing will reunify Taiwan with the mainland and says Washington must mind its own business. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Now, you can be part of the conversation. Don't uh, hold back just because we've got a guest who's being interviewed at the time. You can be part of all of that. And you can do so by jumping on our talkback lines. If you're listening from the United States or Canada, one 888 Or you'd like to dial in from the UK where it's just gone 5.30 in the morning, 033-0024-1026. Or from Australia and New Zealand, one 670 It doesn't have to be based on what we've spoken about already. Um, there have been, what, 20 different issues we've thrown on the pile so far. Now, if there's something else you'd like to set the agenda with, you go for your life and jump on one of those talkback numbers. I'd love to have you on the program. Now, Christmas is just a few days away, a few sleeps away, as they say. And the truth is... For so many families, it can be a fraught time. Despite the depictions of festive bliss on our television stations and what you hear on the radio, the reality is families gather and often they clash. Some people celebrate alone or with nothing because they live on the breadline or are homeless or have no contact with family whatsoever. They're the facts. We know people in that situation. And then there's the impact alcohol has on Christmas, as heavy drinking is almost normalised at this time of the year. And as the son of parents who drank to excess, especially at Christmas time, it can turn a beautiful few days into a living nightmare. And that is certainly one of my lingering memories of Christmas's past, to be honest. For alcoholics too, Christmas is a prime time for relapsing. It's a trap that many get caught in. And so how do we traverse Christmas with all of these obstacles and these emotional ups and downs and these things that we can easily trip over? Emeritus Professor Ross Fitzgerald is the best man I know to discuss these issues. His memoir, 50 Years Sober, An Alcoholic's Journey, is extremely helpful, not only for alcoholics who want to stop drinking, but also for friends and families of people who have those close to them with a drinking problem. He's also just written his 45th book, A Political Satire, in which Dr. Professor Grafton Everest is the first Australian Secretary General of the Shambolic United Nations. 
It's titled Pandemonium, the Ninth Gra- Grafton Everest Adventure. Ross wrote that with comedian, author and television producer Ian McFadden. Ross Fitzgerald, Merry Christmas and welcome back to TNT Radio. Oh, it's just lovely to talk to you, uh, my friend Chris. And you've had some really good reviews on Pandemonium. It's gone down very well, hasn't it? Yes, it certainly has. In fact, it's gone down that well that the publishers are going to bring out a, next year a, a box set of the, of the four Grafton Everest adventures that Ian McFadden and I have written together. Pandemonium selling very well over over the Christmas period. Fantastic. And And you don't have to look far beyond reality to see how shambolic the United Nations is, do you? Absolutely. That's why we decided (laughs) to uh, take the piss out of it, so to speak. (laughs) Ross, it can be a very fraught time, Christmas, can't it? And we tend to overlook it, ignore it, especially if it doesn't uh, happen in our families, but there is so much, there's so much dysfunction at this time of the year, isn't there? Well, Christmas can be an extremely lonely and difficult time for a whole lot of people. And as you say, that includes sober alcoholics who, who need to be very careful that they stay close to AA and not to relax. But uh, for people in general, especially in this enormously difficult economic and, and, and social time, uh, not just yeah, in Australia. If you're not, if you're not suffering from some kind of an addiction, you've got the ever-present problem of money. Um, if you're on any kind of mortgage and you're paying that off, you're probably having to find another $25,000 to make sure that you're um, out of the clutches of the bank manager. It's a tough time in the world and grabbing the nearest drink can be very easily done. That's right. And, in, in, you know, in a country like a Celtic country, Anglo-Celtic country like Australia, alcohol is just so pivotal to Australian society, so much so that the phrase to drink means to drink alcohol. I mean, Chris, often I'll be at a party and I've just had my, my third uh, tonic water and someone will come up to me and say, what's the matter, don't you drink? And I usually say, what do you think I'm doing, eating a sandwich? <laughs> yeah, to drink has become to drink alcohol. You're quite right. And then, of course, at this time of the year, drinking a lot of alcohol and different varieties of alcohol that maybe you wouldn't normally drink is normalised. And it's normalised uh, for the young, uh, young, young as well, and alcohol... It's an incredibly dangerous drug in terms of its social effects and familial effects, as you pointed out. I mean, my father was a very tough man who played Captain Collingwood seconds for 100 games, but his father destroyed the family because of his alcoholism, and my dad uh, never drank a teaspoonful. But, of course, when I started to drink, uh, the reason my father never drank, he he knew he'd finish up like his father. Mm. And in my case, though, if I hadn't have started drinking at 14, I probably would have suicided at 17. But if I hadn't have got released from the need to drink alcohol at 24, I wouldn't have made 25. Isn't that interesting? I think about you writing 45 books, and I think about the concentration, discipline, and the research involved in writing those books. And I think if you had been drinking through that time, there wouldn't have been a book written. 
well, that's absolutely true, but I wouldn't have been around anyway. And and the bizarre thing, Chris, is when I was in America drinking alcoholically, I thought I was a writer, but I didn't write a note to the milkman. But yet after three years sober and when I met my darling wife, Lyndall Moore, whose nickname was Adequate from Arncliffe because she used to talk about striving in her work for adequacy, not for perfection, I was able to start writing. And as you say, I've written or co-authored 45 books. Mm, it's phenomenal. What do we do about people who are lonely? It's often easy to detect who in our neighbourhood or our friends might be lonely, might be on their own. It's another thing to have the gumption and the confidence to approach them and keep them company. But we've got to do it, don't we? Yes. And unfortunately, that's that sense of community is becoming, you know, rarer and rarer. I'm very lucky that I, I live in a street, Madison Street in Redfern, where people do care about each other. And in my case, when, uh, when my darling wife of 45 years, and, and she hadn't drunk alcohol for 45 years either, but the, the community has been very helpful to me as has a small number of people. And I might mention that Alan Jones and, and Tony Abbott uh, were incredibly kind to Lyndall during the three years that she was dying and very kind to me. That is great to hear. How do we deal with drunks at Christmas on Christmas Day? You know, Uncle Terry sometimes decides to get drunk even before we sit down and eat. What do we do with him? It's easy to get angry, of course. One of my Grafton Everest novels called Going Out Backwards, and I think the best way to deal with Uncle Uncle Terry is to walk out backwards, to try to be where he's not at, as Broken Hill Jack used to say. <laughs> yeah, maybe keep him well away from uh, the kids, because for children, being surrounded by heavy drinking adults is simply not healthy, is it? No, it's not, and... Heavy drinking often leads to anger and to rage. And uh, Christmases can be a very, very fraught time. And what about those like myself? I'm reaching the 375 days sober at the moment, surrounded, of course, in the next few days, no doubt, by enormous amounts of popping corks and champagne and whatever else comes around. Um, I've got to get through that period. I've got my own coping mechanisms, but one of those mechanisms, as you always say, has got to be Alcoholics Anonymous. That's right, and I stay very close to the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, over over Christmas, which can be, as we've already said, a very lonely and, and tricky time for people. Um, I always ring, you know, a couple of AA members every day over this period. And, and to realise that the most important thing that I do, you know, each day is not to pick up that first drink of alcohol because if you don't pick up the first drink, you can't get drunk. And that's, uh, that's a lesson that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous taught me. It's not the fourth drink or the 50th drink that's the problem, it's the first drink. And if you don't pick up the first drink, you can't get drunk. What do you say to people who know they've got a drinking problem, don't want to admit it, certainly don't want to give up, but know that they need to for the sake of their family? 
Well, my theology is there's no wrong reason for doing the right thing, and I don't think there's any wrong reason for an alcoholic or a problem drinker trying not to drink or to come to AA. I usually say to the person, may I ask you two questions? And if they answer yes, I say, well, if after having picked up the first drink, do you behave in ways that cause you and your, your close one shame and, and humiliation? And the second question I ask them is, if after drinking alcohol for a while, do you ever suffer uh, periods where you just can't remember what happened? Alcoholic amnesia. And if the answer is yes to both of those, I say, well, um, you're almost certainly an alcoholic. And the reality mm. is that Alcoholics Anonymous is by far the most successful agency in helping problem drinkers stop drinking. So why not value the, uh, yourself for the best? And what harm can it do coming to AA? And you mentioned the family and friends of alcoholics. Most AA meetings are open to anybody to attend, but there's a fellowship, a sister fellowship called Al-Anon, which is for the friends, lovers, partners of alcoholics. And uh, I suggest that if you're living with someone who has a huge problem, you might think of contacting Alanon as well. That's a great um, that's a great suggestion. And just before we finish our shopping for Christmas, we can still get a copy of Pandemonium, right? Oh, you certainly can. And uh, Fifty Years Sober and all the other Grafton Everest. And I shouldn't say this, but they're very cheap online. <laughs> it's a good one thank you so much ross i want to wish you the best for christmas um as we all um know you uh you uh lost yours only a few years ago and that's still uh, a hardship for you but i'm sure you'll uh, get to have many many happy times during the christmas period well, all well, the very I'm, best i'm actually i'm actually 79 on christmas day i'm what my late friend barry humphreys called a capricorn on the cusp of Cusp of Uranus. Sorry, Capricorn <laughs> on the cusp of Uranus. He did too. Thank he you, did Chris. Too. Thank you, Ross. All the very best, and thank you for your support of myself and others. Thank you, mate. And and it's been a wonderful achievement. You you're a very fine example, Chris, of someone who's who's faced difficulties and and has realised the primary problem, and you're over a year sober now. Yeah. And that's yep. something to be congratulated on. And even yeah, there's your no going back. The, even your <laughs> enemies on at the Sydney Morning Herald congratulated you, and they <laughs> meant it. They did. They did. That was interesting. Thank you so much again, mate. All the best. Thank you. Bye. Okay, Emeritus Professor Ross Fitzgerald. Always good to has have his uh, sage advice. Just prior to Christmas before you uh, indulge too much. Uh, I'm, this is not an, uh, I'm not trying to put together an episode that might stop people drinking. I'm just suggesting that at this time of the year, it can go haywire because of the amount of drink that we normally have, which has dominated my Christmases in the past and dominated my parents' Christmases in the past. And a few fantastic days can turn into a nightmare for so many young kids, especially surrounded by grog so much. But um, I've got a stack of... Um, responses here on the chat line river says well played chris one year sir thank you um 
One here from Warwick I gave up a month ago. Well done, Warwick. It's great to wake up and wonder where the hangover is. Yes, um, I agree. Congratulations. Uh, there you go. I totally uh, opposite, which is why I no longer indulge. Thank you very much, uh, Anton. Appreciate that. Got to go to a break, and then I'll come back with your calls, hopefully, on those numbers from the United States or Canada. You can dial in, have your say, one 2016425 from the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. This is Chris Smith on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. This was Simone Sanders back in 2016, November to be precise. In my opinion, we don't need white people leading the Democratic Party right now. This was her last week on her own MSNBC show. Uh, I don't know. I haven't heard a high crime or misdemeanor yet. I, I completely understand. Are you going to let me answer the question, ma'am? I know you're a Democrat operative. You work for a Democrat consultant oh, now, firm. All right, Congressman. Let's do it then since we're here. We are out of time, but we're going to do it. I used to, I did used to um, advise, I did used to advise a number of individuals. I've also advised some corporations and companies, but here I'm just here to be an advocate for the viewer. And I will ask you one last time, what is the evidence that the committee has that Joe Biden, while he was president, committed a high crime misdemeanor or treason? Well, you have to ask yourself, ma'am, why does a vice president or a president get $40,000 through a, a Chinese Communist Corporation that's all been... All right, well, with that, thank you all very much, Congressman. It's always a pleasure, but you just can't come on here and lie. Simone Sanders only survived her racist, we don't need white people remark back in 2016 because she's a radical leftist. And she eventually got her own show, and now she's able to tell a white male Republican congressman that he's a liar after she cuts his mic off. Only in America. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT. Most people are unaware that bad bacteria can grow quickly in food that's stored, prepped, or cooked incorrectly, and that can lead to food poisoning. To avoid bad bacteria, always make sure your hands and cooking utensils are clean. Keep raw meat and chicken away from food that won't be cooked. Run your fridge at or below 5 degrees Celsius and use a meat thermometer to ensure your meat's being cooked to at least 75 degrees Celsius. For more tips on keeping bad bacteria at bay, visit foodsafety.asn.au. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, I want to get to Andrew on our talk lines firstly. Andrew, thank you for calling. G'day, Smitty. First of Hi all, I'd like to wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm well, thank you. Good. I'm still fighting a good fight. Good. We, we um, as you know, I kicked out of Parliament House and got the apology. I went into another government office today, Centrelink, to do something, and they asked me to step outside with my dogs and wait out there. Uh, while they, they could serve me outside, I said, hang on a second, would you ask me if I had a wheelchair to leave my wheelchair outside or to go outside and wait in my wheelchair? I said, this, where is this coming from? Uh, and it had on the door, no pets, it's animals welcome. So right. the government who sets the laws and administer services to people don't even know their own laws. Did you know that Canberra Hospital did a five-year study on animals coming and visiting people in hospital? They found no 
adverse contrary effects and they did a five-year microbiology study as well to see if there were any changes in the infection rates and there was zero. And you know that even doctors don't even know that that policy exists. So then, and what is what is the policy in terms of government buildings like Centrelink? You're saying that that particular office didn't have a clue that there is an overriding law that allows you to take those assistance dogs in with you, right? Well, it's the sign on the door, and the security guy pointed it out. He said, "See, no pets, assistance animals, welcome." I said. That's right. They're assistance animals. I can show you the, the government transport passes I've got from Queensland if you'd like to see them. Well, I've got to check with my manager first. I said, no, you don't. It says clearly on the door that they're welcome. I mean, we government has gone... I remember my mum used to be in charge. You remember the days of Prince of Wales, Prince Henry and Eastern Suburbs hospitals. Yeah. My mum was third in charge of Prince Wales Hospital when she retired in all, all three hospitals. I remember those days back in 1981 when she retired. She was proud to be a public servant. Then about 20 years later, it changed, or maybe 15, where it's, I'm not a public servant, I work for the government. There seemed to be this attitude that serving somebody is negative. It's not. It should be a joy. It should be something you do with pride. Yeah. And now it is... You will only get served in what you're entitled to if you bend over backwards and take it up the bum. Seriously, this government is out of control. You ring the Prime Minister's office and listen to the message you get. Our staff are uh, to be treated with compassion, or to be treated with respect and blah, blah, blah. And if you don't, we will escalate it and you may face charges through the police. I mean, who wants to leave a message after receiving <laughs> After that, exactly. You know? Thanks very much. Put your gun down. I'm out of here. But you know what, Smitty, one thing I didn't tell you last week when I spoke to you about the AFP, I was mm -hmm. given a book for my 25th birthday. The title was One Person Can Make a Difference. You know, I never even read the book. I understood the book from the title. Yeah. I want to encourage all your listeners out there in 2024, let's take our country back. Each and every person who's listening to your station and you can make a difference in this world for the betterment of yourself and fellow Australians if you yeah. just stand up for your rights. But as a bloke, yeah. be careful. Because you do it to a woman and you're automatically violent and, and aggressive. What a load of nonsense. Yeah, that's an interesting, it's an interesting observation and it, and it happens and we hear about it. Listen, you have a fantastic Christmas. You'll be surrounded by some family, will you? No, mate, I've got no family. I've, I've, got, I've got my four dogs. And uh, I'm sure there's someone at church or somewhere who will invite me home for lunch and uh, right. usually happens. But I've decided this year to participate in, in Christmas and enjoy it and it's been a wonderful one. So I thank you for your wishes. That's great. You enjoy your, your time. I'm sure you'll be uh, with some uh, friendly people and you'll have a good laugh, which is always a good time to do that. Thank you, Absolutely. mate, and thank you very much for contributing to the program. My pleasure. Have a great Christmas. Good on you, mate. Same to you. Thank you very much for that. We'll no doubt hear from Andrew in 2024. I want to refer to a story that I read today in the New York Times about the reaction to Donald Trump being banned from having his name on the primary ballot in Colorado. And it's from Jonathan Weisman. And it's really interesting in that the response by those who want to defeat Donald Trump, his... GOP offsiders has been anything but combative. 
And the story goes, a state high court's decision that the Republican front runner for the White House is disqualified from office might seem like a pretty good opening for his ostensibly GOP challenges. But in an era of smash mouth politics, ushered in by former President Donald J. Trump, only Mr. Trump appears capable of smashing anyone in the mouth. So with under four weeks before the Iowa caucuses, the Colorado Supreme Court's ruling on Tuesday that Mr. Trump was disqualified from the state's primary ballot under a section of the 14th Amendment that holds that no person shall hold any office, civil or military, who has engaged in insurrection or rebellion, was apparently off limits. Mr. Trump still seems to be the one setting the parameters for legitimate debate in the GOP, even if he doesn't participate in the actual debates. We don't need to have judges making these decisions, said Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley and Donald Trump don't see eye to eye. Nikki said, the former South Carolina governor, we don't need to have judges making these decisions. Hear, hear. Now, she's rising in the polls. She is a definite threat to someone like Donald Trump. But she's still far behind Trump at the moment. Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida not only refrained from attacking his chief rival, but he also spun out a conspiracy theory to suggest the ruling was a plot against him to aid Mr. Trump. Now, I'd like to pull up Jonathan Weisman there. It is definitely a conspiracy. Don't think it's not. It's happening too often in too many different sectors of the judiciary not to be a conspiracy. They are out to take him down. And if they can't do it with legitimate indictments, they will do it with their own elected officials on the Supreme Court in their blue states. That is Colorado. So I think that's a cheap shot. But Ron DeSantis refrained from attacking Donald Trump. What the left and the media and the Democrats are doing, DeSantis said on Wednesday, they're doing all this stuff to basically solidify support in the primary for him, get him into the general, and the whole general election is going to be all this legal stuff. This is what DeSantis said on Wednesday, speaking at the Westside Conservative Club breakfast in Iowa. At a restaurant outside Des Moines, he asked reporters, we're going to be litigating this stuff for how many more years going forward? I think we've got to start focusing on the people's issues. That's a good point. There's a lot of navel-gazing going on at the moment. Vivek Ramaswamy, the entrepreneur who has clung most tightly to Trump's pant legs throughout the primary season, went so far as to pledge solidarity and withdraw his own name from the Colorado ballot. Now, obviously, when this story was printed, they didn't know that DeSantis had done the same thing, and I mentioned that earlier in the program. And he demanded the other candidates follow suit which, of course, as I say, Ron did. A biotech financier who has spent millions of his own dollars on his campaign, Ramaswamy rallied against the unelected elite class in the back of palace halls as he sat in the back of his well-appointed campaign bus. Even Chris Christie, the former New Jersey governor, whose long-shot run for the Republican nomination has centred on questioning the front-runner's fitness for office, demurred, engaging not on the Colorado justices' conclusions but their timing. He said, I don't think a court should exclude somebody from running for president without there being a trial and evidence that's accepted by a jury. That they did participate in insurrection, he said on Tuesday night during a town hall event in New Hampshire. 
So while it was an opening, as that reporter indicated, for others to come and get Trump, they didn't take the opportunity. That's how wrong the decision was in the Supreme Court of Colorado. That is an indication of how wrong it was. Undemocratic, un-American, and we should talk about this until the cows come home. Let's just hope the federal Supreme Court has some kind of diligence over that jurisdiction and can wipe it off the agenda. We'll see how that pans out in the early part of 2024. I've got to leave you. In the hands of Dean Macken, followed by Katie Hopkins, you have a fantastic morning, noon, night, whichever it is where where you are at the moment. And we will catch up hopefully at the same time tomorrow. Let's do that on TNT Radio. Good night.